Hello everyone, I'm Micah, and we've got the Bible reading now. It's as on the screen, um, Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14, which is on page 1240. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and it stood they, sorry. Uh, they came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They, they say, our bones are dried up, our, our hope is gone, we, were cu- we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from, the, uh, from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Well, we've heard, unfortunately, Lyndon is sick tonight. He was going to finish our series in Zechariah with the last couple of chapters. Uh, He did that this morning, but uh, through the day, he just felt worse and worse. So if you really did want to catch the end of the Zechariah series, then on our YouTube channel, Ann Street Presbyterian Church on YouTube.com, you can find Lyndon's sermon on Zechariah 12 to 14. But tonight, we're going to look at a passage from Ezekiel that is from a similar time period to the end of Ezekiel. And I'm going to need... God's help to teach this, so we're all going to need God's help to hear it, so let's pray. Father, we thank you that things come to life when you speak, so help us to hear your voice tonight. Open our hearts and breathe your life into us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I said last time I was preaching that Australians really seem to like watching TV shows about renovating houses. So, you know, we've got got the block, 
We've got the block. That's, that's mostly what we've got. But Americans, they love renovation shows even more. They call them flip shows. You know, they buy a house, they do it up, and they flip it for profit. And so they have heaps of these shows. They've got Masters of Flip, Five Day Flip, Miami Flip, Vintage Flip, where they kind of do old style stuff. Uh, flipping the block, where you do a whole bunch of houses at once. Flipping Vegas, which I think is like where you renovate a casino, I don't know. Um, flipping 101 and first time flippers, for people who haven't done this before. Flip or flop, like when there's risk involved. Um, flipped off and of course my favourite, Downton Shabby. That's a good one, check that out. Uh, some of these shows are a little bit like Good Bones. Good Bones is kind of like one of the, one of the big ones and they take fundamentally solid houses that look pretty dodgy on the outside, but underneath the, the bones, the foundations, all that stuff is really strong. They just need a bit of cosmetic help. But other shows are more like this one, Zombie House Flippers. Um, this is about transforming condemned houses, you know, houses that are slated for destruction because they are not worth repairing. They have bad bones underneath. Now, every episode, you hit with the question, how are they going to fix this house? Surely they can't do it this time. But, you know, amazing, by the end of the episode, they've done it and they make all this money. But what about this house? How can this house live again? How can these bones be put back together? It doesn't matter how good the builders are, it doesn't how much money the TV network throws at it, this house is not going to be fixed. You give up and you start over somewhere else. Now, that's a feeling that we might have about a few different things in a few different situations when something is so far gone that we don't have any hope that it could ever live again. Can these bones live? Just give up and move on. Can these bones live? Now, get a new phone. Can these bones live? What are you... What about these bones? You might know that's this, this picture. This is where we live. This is our city. Can these bones live? So much of the time, it seems like our city, the people in it, are so disinterested in Jesus, so broken and yet so unwilling to let him heal them. Walking around, spending, working, playing, living, and yet so dead even while they live. And we can feel so powerless to change that. What's more, so often when we look at ourselves, there are battles with temptation that we feel sometimes like we could never win. There are idols that we just can't imagine being free from. And so sometimes we can sit resigned and ask ourselves, and, and ask ourselves can this city live? Can this world live? Can I change? This is the exact question that Ezekiel faces in chapter 37. In a vision, God takes him to a valley full of dry, scattered bones. And he asks Ezekiel, hey, can these bones live? So as we think about this question, we'll think about what, what that question meant for Ezekiel in that vision... But we'll also think about what it's got to do with Jesus and what that question means for us. But before we see what the answer is, we need to rewind a little bit and understand the background to this book. So the book of Ezekiel is written before Zechariah, during the period where God poured out His judgment on the nation, His people, the nation of Israel. 
God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and he'd given them, he made them his people, he'd given them a series of special things that marked them as his people, that showed the whole world that they belonged to him. So, number one, he gave them the covenant, kind of the, 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 the law of Moses, instructions on how to live. He gave them a land of their own to live in. He gave them kings from the family of David to rule over them. And he gave them, this is kind of the big one, he gave them the temple in Jerusalem, a place where God lived amongst his people. These were symbols of God's love for them, symbols of the security that they had because he lived in their street. It's like a wedding ring, it's a symbol of his love for them. But the problem was, for Israel, those symbols of security became their security. So, as long as we've got the land, they thought, or the covenant, or the king, or the temple, we're secure. It doesn't matter how we treat God, it doesn't matter if we worship the gods of the other nations, it doesn't matter if we abuse poor people, as long as we've got these four things, no other nation will be able to give us any trouble. It's like someone saying, as long as I have this wedding ring, doesn't matter how I treat my spouse, they'll always love me. And so God sent prophet after prophet to warn them, but Israel didn't listen. And so finally, after centuries of going around with other gods, spiritual adultery, God did what He said He was always do if they were unfaithful. He sent the Assyrians to wipe out the northern tribes in 722 BC, and He sent the Babylonians to take out the southern tribes in 586. He gave them the curses that He'd promised if they were unfaithful to His covenant. He took them out of their land, He put their king in chains, and He burned their temple to the ground. Israel was dead. Those Israelites who were exiled to Babylon sat there by the river and they cried, thinking that they would never see their home or their God ever again. And so it's against that background that Ezekiel also sits by the river in Babylon and he sees this vision in chapter 37. So let's look at the vision together. Chapter 37, verse 1, Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. God took Ezekiel and He showed him a scene of death, extreme final, permanent death, and he made him walk back and forward in it to really let the point sink in. These, these were not corpses. They were not even skeletons. These are disjointed bones. The flesh has rotted off them. They've been picked clean by animals. They're not just dead. They are so dead. Now, there have been lots of recorded cases of people being resuscitated after they, their heart stopped beating. Some, some cases where people have been resuscitated up to 45 minutes after their hearts have stopped beating. But what Ezekiel sees here is so far past resuscitation. And then God asks Ezekiel, in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, the, if you've got a New International Version translation here, um, it words Ezekiel's response in a fairly respectful, kind of polite tone, Sovereign Lord, 
only you know. And it could be that Ezekiel kind of politely leaves the answer up to God, but the original Hebrew word seems to have a bit more of a blunt tone to it. It's literally just the abrupt, you know, as in, you must know, bones bones can't live, this is not going to happen. Now, even if Ezekiel was being more polite on the outside, it's easy to imagine his, I guess you say, pessimism on the inside. But instead of answering the question for Ezekiel, God invites Ezekiel to discover the answer for himself. Look at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Preach to the bones. God says to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel's career, he spent years preaching to people who were dead on the inside, and he's he's pretty used to getting no response. But right now, he's told to preach to literal bones. And the result this time is very different. Look at verse 7. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. Bones and tissue miraculously joined together. But even then, verse 8 says, there's still no breath in them. There's no life force. So, in verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. It's the breath. The breath makes all the difference. Just like when Adam was created in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. His lifeless body is formed from the clay, but it only comes to life when God breathes into him. And the result here for Ezekiel is life. Not just one life, but lots of life. Not just lots of life, but a vast army. Why an army? Why not like a a royal family or a sports team or a debating club or something? Well, it's a bunch of people who stand ready to serve, ready to fight for something. What does this mean? What's this this supposed to mean to Ezekiel? Is he supposed to get it? Is he supposed to understand what the, the point of this show is? Well, God explains it to Ezekiel. This is not just cool moment of seeing that there actually are zombies in the Bible, but this is a picture of how a dead nation will be resurrected. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we are cut off. Their land is gone, Their king is gone, their temple is gone, and as far as they're concerned, there is no hope for them ever being welcomed back as God's people again. 
But that's from their perspective. They have no idea what's possible when the sovereign Lord breathes. Look at verse 12. God says to Ezekiel, Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Just like in that vision, he regathered all of those scattered bones, he will regather his people back to the land that they used to live in, back to his land. But that's only the first part. Remember, all those bones got gathered together into bodies, but there was still no life. Nothing had really changed. And that's how it's going to be, God says to Ezekiel, for his people, for the Israelites. They're going to be brought back from exile into their homes, but that's not the climax of what needs to happen for people to be healed. They need God to breathe life into them. And that happens when he breathes out his spirit. Do you see that in verse 14? God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it, declares the Lord. God gives life when he breathes out his spirit. Now, the spirit, God's spirit, has been all the way through this passage that we've read, although we might have missed it. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And I wonder if you know what the Hebrew word for breath is. It's ruach, it's the same word. And can you guess what the Hebrew word for wind is? It's the same thing. This vision, this promise is all about what God is going to do in the world when he breathes out his spirit. And God says that when he breathes out his spirit, he makes dead things come to life. Can these bones live? Can this nation with godless hearts and broken lives live? Yes, when God breathes out his spirit. So at the end of this story in Ezekiel, we're kind of left wondering, well, did it happen? Did it come true? Well, there was, there was some fulfillment of this in small parts. And we, we know that because we've looked at Zechariah together, what happens in about 70 years' time. From 538 BC, there were groups of Israelites who returned to Jerusalem after Persian King Cyrus liberated them, but it was, it was only a small number compared to what it was before. They rebuilt a temple, but it was nothing like the old one. And there was no moment of God's glory bursting into the place like there was back in Solomon's day. They had a descendant of David named Zerubbabel leading them, but he was not a king. Ezekiel's vision was only truly realised when another man's body lay dead in the ground. And the question, can these bones live, was replaced by, can this man live? The action that Ezekiel was looking forward to didn't really get going until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, God breathed out his spirit in a way that the world had never seen. Jesus died. 
but not like the way that Israel died. He didn't die because of his own failure and his own corruption and pride and idolatry and greed and lust, but because of mine and because of yours. But then three days after that, God breathed out his spirit into the flesh of his dead son and that buried body began to breathe. God's Spirit raised him to life, and he is the first of many. Jesus is raising an army. And just like God's Spirit brought Jesus back from the dead, if you trust in Jesus, then God's Spirit has brought you back to life as well. A bit later on, in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says that if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, that's one day in the future, raising your body from the grave, but it's, it's also now. If you trust in Jesus, he has raised your dead heart to life, to know God, to start to change, to start to love things that God loves, to love him just like Jesus does. Ezekiel, in his vision, he wasn't just seeing a bunch of his mates from his day. He was seeing Jesus and he was seeing you. He's raised up his son and he's raised you up with him to live in him, to serve him. Where God breathes out his spirit, tombs are opened. That started with Jesus and now Jesus has breathed out his spirit into you too. So we need to come back to the question that we had at the start. Can this world live? Can this city that we live in live? When, when you look around at work or on campus and the playground and the shops in your street, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it just sometimes feels so unlikely that people might turn to Jesus, right? There are some days when I, I just feel how crazy people think I am for believing in Jesus. I got on an Uber the other day and I had one of the chatty Uber drivers and so conversation was kind of free-flowing. We we're talking about how long he'd been driving for and what got him into it and where he'd lived and then he started asking me some questions about what, you know, my life and then he asked what I do. And I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor in a church. And no response. I just sat there and I thought, wow, this is so far away from, from what this guy is willing to talk about. And sure, I know it's possible for God to save anyone, but as I sat there in the car, I just, I just wasn't expecting that someone like this would want to know about Jesus. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you felt like me some days where I look at myself and I see my anger and my selfishness and my envy and my apathy I see how I give in to the same temptations over and over again. It's, sometimes it's hard to picture myself ever being any different to that. So often I look around and I look inside and I wonder, can these bones live? And then I come to Ezekiel 37. And I come to the tomb of Jesus and I see that when God breathes out his spirit, dead things come to life. So what do we do about that? 
I want to suggest three things. They all begin with P. Prayer, proclamation, and patience. We pray. We pray for God to breathe out His Spirit. Prayer is the, it's the most powerful weapon we have, right? And yet it's the one that we use most sparingly. It's like we're going to run out of it or something. When we pray, we are collapsing onto God to do what we can't. And that's the most powerful place for us to be, right? When our weaknesses collapse into His strength. So pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for yourself. And those dark, hidden parts of your heart where maybe the crown of Jesus hasn't rested over yet. Because when God breathes, dead things come to life. We pray and we proclaim. We proclaim the message of Jesus. It's fascinating to me when I read this story that when God wants to show Ezekiel that the only way these bones will come back to life is if God breathes, if by the power of His Spirit that when God wants to show Ezekiel that, He gets Ezekiel to be the mouthpiece for that. God could have spoken of those bones by Himself, right? But yet, in His wisdom, He chose to make the power of His Spirit travel through Ezekiel's message. And it's the same with us. God doesn't need us to spread the message of Jesus in order to breathe out His Spirit, but amazingly, that is the way that He's chosen to do it. You might know what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So, what are you going to say? When someone asks you, for me, I've just got a line that is locked and loaded because I don't think very well on my feet. I'm just, at any moment, I'm just ready to say, I believe that Jesus can reconnect people to God. Uh, I was getting a haircut once at a barber on a Friday, and the barber asked me what I was doing this weekend, and I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to the youth group at my church, it's this thing we do for teenagers, um, and he said, oh man, teenagers, why would you want to do that? And I thought, well, okay, here we go, um, because I believe that Jesus can reconnect people to God. And then he says, oh, what do you mean by that? And I was like, oh, wow, okay, we're having this conversation. Oh, this is amazing. Don't cut my ears off. Um, we've got into this whole conversation about how God reconnects people, uh, Jesus reconnects people to God. Now, that's, that's a pretty lame line, it's pretty robotic, but w- what are you going to say? Maybe it'd be helpful to have something packed and ready to go. So we pray, we proclaim, but at the end of the day, while we pray, while we proclaim, we need to be patient. And wait for God to work by His Spirit. Prayer and proclaiming aren't our our way of forcing something to happen. They're our way of saying, Lord Spirit, we need you to work. Because even in the darkest of situations, with the deadest of hearts, we can only begin to imagine what can happen when God breathes out His Spirit. I used to work for a guy named Steve, He became a Christian when he was 16 years old and he was keen to share what he'd discovered with the people that he knew, but it it cost him. He uh, he tried to have a conversation with his boss at work about it and he said, if you ever talk to me about this religious stuff again, it's over between you and me. Okay. His family 
did not want anything to do with him. His parents wrote him out of the will because he wanted to share what he'd found about Jesus. Over the years, he prayed for his family, but there was no contact. Even when his daughters were born, his family didn't reach out. 25 years after Steve became a Christian and all this stuff went down, he got a phone call out of the blue. It's his brother. And his brother says to him, hey, Steve, you won't believe it. I've become a Christian. Out of the blue. Steve was kind of amazed by that. Not as amazed as he was a month later when his mum called him up out of nowhere. And she said, hey, I just wanted to tell you that I started going to church. And your dad's coming too. One day we will see all of the people that God has brought to life by breathing out his spirit. All those people that have come to put their trust in Jesus. And on that day, we will see all kinds of people that we didn't expect to see. Can these bones live? Can this city live? Can our families live? Can our workmates live? When God breathes out his spirit, dead things come to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every good thing. Please fill us with your spirit that we might speak the message of your son into this world and that death might give way to life.